Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, Marina, New Zealand. Good morning to you all. Uh, great to be back on uh, Kiwi soil after taking a bit of a pounding across in Australia. So we'll have uh, a really good show for you this morning. We're going to be- begin by uh, talking about the Black Ferns with Taylor Johnson. Of course, Taylor is uh, part of uh, Sky commentary uh, team as well throughout women's rugby, men's rugby as well. Uh, and yesterday she was at the naming of the side yesterday for the World Cup. Finally, it's here and the, the, the tournament itself, of course, October the 8th, we kick off. It is just around the corner. Uh, so we'll talk to Taylor. And then uh, around uh, 10 o'clock, we'll talk to, to Jamie Wall. Um, and Jamie, of course, will be looking at the Wallabies uh, and the All Blacks, the All Blacks named yesterday to take uh, on the Australians at Marvel Stadium on Thursday night. That is tomorrow night, by the way. Guy Havelt and James Regan will be on the panel this morning. And then uh, after 11 o'clock, we'll talk to Craig Cumming. Uh, out of Otago Cricket. Craig, of course, will uh, have a bit of analysis for the Black Caps as well, but he's got a, a brand new role and heavily involved uh, with looking after the pathway and performance of women's cricketers uh, through Otago Cricket and Otago Sport. Uh, at uh, quarter to 12, we'll talk to Andy Thompson. It's uh, Wednesday, of course, which means Andy's show, uh, Rural Roundup, is uh, on our airwaves. So we'll catch up with Andy before that. And at 9.30, actually, I, I missed that out. Uh, we'll, I want to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to hear from you um, on the All Blacks, on the Black Ferns, of course, and uh, on the feedback from uh, from the, the Black Caps' disappointing 3-0 loss in the Chapel Hadley series. So I'd love to hear from you on 0800 And, of course, we will have a Chemist Warehouse voucher to the value of 50 bucks up for grabs for that. So let's kick it off. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. It's not very often I've been able to say it lately, but thank God for the All Blacks and thank him also that tomorrow night we've got a better than decent chance to exorcise some demons. Winning in Australian soil as a Kiwi sporting team, the Black Ferns managed it a little while ago, just and just Warriors and the Breakers every now and then, but at a very low percentage given the opportunities. The Black Caps are awful over there. A shadow of themselves pretty much everywhere else. We see a window of opportunity and we close it on ourselves time after time. It's no longer a coincidence, it's more a phobia. We get stuck in the headlights of a yellow vehicle that continually forces us off the road. It doesn't have to be driven by Hazelwood or Stark or Smith. It can be Zampa or Green or Kerry. Pretty much anyone who takes the wheel. Their commentators and collective media and players actually continually to refer to us as the number one side in the world. Is that just sarcasm or is it more that it makes them feel better 
when they roll us on a daily basis. Truth is, the Black Caps are not numero uno, not until they can win everywhere against everyone on a regular basis. And to do that, we have to have better players make better decisions and take better options. And while doing it, let's not sit back on our haunches, let's sit forward in the saddle, display a better body language. Bolt is our best for now, trouble is he's not ours for very often, much more. Little wonder he's decided to join them over the ditch, at least then he can win with them. So tomorrow night at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, let's all marvel at a Kiwi team going forward without fear of the yellow team across the way. Get that damn Bledisloe Cup back in seat 1A for the trip home back to New Zealand where it rightfully sits and restore a touch of balance. It's getting nauseating following the cricketers, to be fair. Well, with over 60 players to consider, the Blackburn squad of 32 for the Rugby World Cup was announced yesterday at College Rifles Rugby Club in Auckland with a clear message, once you're a Blackburn, you're always a Blackburn. And that message was shown through messages of support by former World Cup winners through the 31-year history of the team, exemplified by one of the greatest, Dr. Farah Palmer, who read out the names one by one. And joining us now is someone who was there for the unveiling, rugby commentator extraordinaire Taylor Johnson. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lily. Glad to be here and talk women's rugby. <laughs> yeah, absolutely fantastic. And boy, we'll be talking a lot of it in the next uh, month or two because uh, now we've finalised uh, finalized, uh, the 32 players named yesterday. Obviously, some uh, really difficult phone calls and meetings for the selectors to have to leave out some pretty good candidates. So who were the shock admissions for you, if there were any? I think definitely Chelsea Semple. You know, she's been a mainstay in the midfield for the Black Ferns and you know, she's a popular figure as the Waikato captain and, you know, um, led them to a title last year. And um, I think Tyler Nathan Wong, I think a lot of people expected her to be in there just because of her versatility because she can play halfback, fullback and first five. Um, you know, both of them did stuff like concussions earlier this year, but we're both available for selection. But I also think a bigger mission is Kaipo Olsen-Baker, the um, number eight from the Manawatu Cyclone. She was outstanding on her test debut earlier. Um, in the year for the Black Ferns. And I think, you know, she's had to make way for, you know, a fellow uh, Manawatu woman in Sarah Hidini. Uh And I, I think a lot of people were surprised at the amount of uh, Black Ferns Sevens players that dumped back into the team. Um, you know, in, re- in past World Cups, they would they would automatically go back into the side because they were the only professionals being paid full-time. Um, but now that the Black Ferns introduced, you know, the full-time contracts a couple of years ago, uh, it kind of evened the playing field. So I think this would probably be the last year where we see the um, the dumping between sevens and fifteens in the team. But look, it's an exciting squad. But I do feel for the likes of Chelsea and, and even Kelly Brazier, you know, not being in this squad because she's definitely one who floats easily between uh, the fifteens and the sevens program. Taylor, it's an interesting transition when you look at those sevens players as well because there've been a couple of of ladies, Ruby Tui. Teresa Fitzpatrick, who have stayed with the 15s religiously and worked their way through Wayne Smith's preparations. But as you say, um, Sarah Hirani, Portia Woodman, Stacey Flula uh, stayed away uh, often on sevens duties. With the way the game is progressing, the 15s game progressing, is that a danger now? No, I think so. Like, um, you know, Ruby Tui, she's a really good example of someone who probably needed to stay back and, and play a little bit more on the wing because in her 15s game, we'd often see her at loose board or sometimes on the wing. And, and she really 
decided to hone her skills as a 15 player this year and stay behind and, you know, remove herself from that sevens program to really put her best foot forward. And, you know, same with Teresa Fitzpatrick. She actually started off playing 15s before jumping into the seven circuit. So her inclusion isn't that much of a surprise back into the squad. But I do think, yeah, the games are changing. You know, the physicality, you just have to look at Super Rugby Opiki and, you know, some of the sevens um, players played in that. And they just weren't as physical as those who had played in the 15. But in saying that, you know, they still can be physical against these other sides. But when you've got women playing in the 15 game week in and week out, there is a little bit of a difference in the game plan. Um, but I'm sure always this has a master plan for these women and they definitely will be a good fit into the squad. Uh, so I'll compliment the other, you know, big ball carriers. <laughs> Taylor, is it, is it obvious now the Wayne Smith, can you see the Wayne Smith blueprint on this team already? I think so. Look, you only have to look at the um, the end of year tour last year just to see things weren't really clicking from um, you know a set piece point of view, um, strike moves and things like that. But now you're actually seeing the players with a clear plan. You know, you see your pods set up nicely, um, and you see them just willing to have a go and try different things. It's not the same um, game plan. You know, each time they come out um, of the shed, you know, if at the beginning of the game and half time, you can see that they've changed the game plan. Um, according to what's happening. So I think Wayne Smith has given a lot of the players confidence to back their skill and to have a go and to really try something different. Okay, let's look at um, the leadership side of things on the field. They've gone for the co-captaincy style of uh, Rohe DeMont and Kennedy Simon. Are you a fan of that? I think so. I think because the team is really young um, and there is quite a bit of an experience, you know, you, you know if you say inexperience, you've got Kendra Cox there, and Renee Wycliffe are in their fourth World Cup, but a lot of these players have never been to a World Cup before, and I think having that double leadership on the field will be really beneficial, one in the forwards, one in the back. Uh, and Kennedy is really new in her test career as well, you know, less than 10 caps, I believe. Um, and, oh, she's not on 10 caps, should I say, sorry. Uh, but it's just the presence that she brings and her calmness, and I think that's what uh, they're looking for, you know, someone to bring a real level head. Because um, you, you know, you look at the the Ford pack from the last World Cup. There's only one standing, uh, you know, two standing, should I say? Sorry. And so it's a relatively new team, and they just need uh, the extra captaincy there. Um, and they're all hey, Demont, like she's a she's a cool, calm, collected player as well. So I, I like the style of going for two because they are two different people off the field as well. You know, one's a little bit more energetic, one's a little bit more relaxed. Um, so I, I like what they've gone for there. Okay, let's look at um, the areas that were troubling us against uh, England and France. So obviously we won't really know until we get up against those power those power nations just uh, if we've closed that gap there. But have you seen um, us go forward in those particular areas that were a problem? I think our set piece was a big issue. Our scrum against the likes of England and France, you know, that England, they, they have scrum to breakfast. They love that. And, and it's, it's interesting to see the props, you know, there's been a lot of chopping and changing with the front row over the past two years. And, you know, like you, you've got to look at Afina, Tanja Wainohu and Santo Tomas, you know, they've only got one test each and they've made the squad because there was a lot of uncertainty with the front rowers uh, for the season. We saw even um, chopping and changing from the Pacific Nations Cup that they had earlier uh, to the Laurie O'Reilly, you know, uh, props coming in and out because they still think they were trying to find the mould that they were looking for. And I think they've landed on, on the right team. You know, Tanya Kulunavali, she, she's a monstrous carrier and she carries more than anyone else in, in the team. When you looked at the Fire Palmer Cup, she was up there with around 20 carries a game. She's a workhorse. And, and you've got the likes of Crystal Murray, who's a real skillful prop. And, and Whitney Hanson put it 
put it well. She said, look, you can't just scrum anymore as a prop. You need to have a whole full rounded game. And I think that's what they've gone for there. But I definitely think, you know, it is a really different side that took on England and France in the end of their tour. And I'm really excited to see how that front row goes uh, in the World Cup. They've brought this new uh, mantra in which uh, they certainly uh, reinforced yesterday. Once a black fern, you're one for life. Um, that's quite special, isn't it? Particularly for the younger members of the squad coming in. Yeah, definitely. Just being at the College Rifles Rugby Club, um, you could really tell the the camaraderie that was there and the sisterhood with the Black Ferns, you know, the, the former Black Ferns, um, you know, getting up and giving them all hugs and just saying, you know, it's, it's a real honour and privilege to wear that jersey. And they really have created a dynasty. Look, five Rugby World Cups is uh, unprecedented in, in the men's and women's game. And, and I think, yeah, it is that, that mantle that they have to hold on to because you got to remember it is a tournament and, you know, although some players missed out, um, they might be pulled into that squad because you've got to look at the squad and they've only got two first fives, but they've got six outside backs. And so that is kind of worrying, you know, uh, if, if, you know, Ruhay or Hazel goes down, then they're going to have to pull someone in. And so they have to have that positive mentality that, you know, I might not be in this squad yet, uh, but I'm still a black firm. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting um, with that with that split in the back. Only three specialist locks as well in the squad. That was interesting. Yeah, I think because they have got some dynamic loose boards, you know, but none of those loose boards really carry height with them. Um, but I think they've got a plan by naming, you know, the six loose boards that they have and the outside backs that they are going to play a really expansive game. And, and you look at the likes of Chelsea Bremner, Jonah Nanwu and uh, Maya Kawani Kalani Roos, the three locks that were named. They are um, real hard workers and they're very fit. You know, so it's not uh, unusual to see you know just two locks play out a whole game and maybe leave one on the bench the whole time just in, as a just in case kind of scenario. Um, but you know, Aloise Blackwell, she was a big omission at the beginning of the year, and she, I think she did take that feedback on well around you know just getting a bit more fit and dynamic, and she was outstanding in the Fire Palmer Cup for Auckland. So I think she'll be standing close to her phone should anyone go down. Right. Okay. Let's um, look at the big factor, of course, is playing at home. Um, and and that adds a, a little bit of uh, quality to the whole event, but it also adds it adds expectation and it adds pressure. We saw that in the women's cricket World Cup as well, Taylor. So uh, have they factored that in? You think? I think there's just a big level of excitement uh, for the Black Friends because they mainly play most of their tests outside of New Zealand, and uh, they've got a good warm up, you know, leading into this because they've played multiple tests at home this year now, so they're used to that home crowd pressure. Uh, so I think, if anything, it's just excitement to be able to play at home. Um, you know, Kendra and Renee, I'll refer to them again. They've played, you know, four World Cups uh, abroad. Uh, this is Kendra's last World Cup uh, as she's announced her retirement. And I think, you know, the, the women will really want to get up and support them and, and get a win for Kendra and things like that. But I, I think the home advantage is really good. But the fact is, is it going to be an advantage? Because we still need people to come to the game. <laughs> We will, though. Uh, uh, we're on track, aren't we, for a, a massive crowd at Eden Park on October 8th. Yeah, like, yeah at the moment, it's, it's still not sold out, and I know that they were wanting to sell out that game um, for uh, to have a record um, with women's rugby attendance. Um, but I think, you know, there's still quite a, a big portion of tickets to be sold, and so it would just be good if people, you know, come out of the regions and come up and, and watch and support the ladies. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really exciting tournament. Okay, um, let's uh, look at the uh, other areas of uh, preparation, which is interesting. Um, I'm just reading an, um, a note here where they're, they're bringing the families into the camps uh, from Monday as they prepare. That's a big move. 
it is a big move, you know, and, and you know, some of these people um, are mums in the teens and things like that, and you just want to make sure that you're well-rounded and you really want to um, include the families from the get-go. I think that's a real big thing that's rooted in, in Māori and Pacific culture, and, you know, um, the Black Ferns have really embraced that at the moment. And I think it's just around carrying, you know, the players uh, and their families together, you know, as one team and to get some real alignment across the board, you know, so that, um, I know it is a home World Cup, but just so they don't feel like they're away from their families all the time because, you know, you still need to focus, focus mentally uh, on putting out your best performance and you're not going to do that if uh, you're worried about the kids back home and things like that. So I think it's just around getting alignment and also just some fucker for knowing a tongue, getting, um, getting to know each other's families a little bit more as well because no doubt people's mums and dads and partners will all be on the sidelines together cheering, so they might as well meet all together earlier. <laughs> It is. A, a, it's an interesting concept. I've, I've got to say, it's one I've, I've never really uh, heard of before. But uh, of course, it's important. The family, as you say, is very important. Also, uh, it's it's quite important too. I think for the future of of uh, women's rugby in terms of remuneration. Now we've seen New Zealand cricket come out and say male and female players will be paid on an equal pay pay scale on a game by game basis. Uh, this is a great chance for um, the Black Ferns to close that gap. Yeah, of course. You know, if, if, if they can, um, you know, get the the viewership and the support that we know that they're more than capable of achieving, it definitely gives them the argument to to have that. Um, look, I think it would be great if they can match that. And uh, you know, to New Zealand rugby's credit, you know, the past few years they have really jumped on board and making sure that everyone's getting paid. You know, there is a tier system. You know, if you've been around longer, or if you're new to the squad, or your age, and things like that. So. Uh, there's definitely room for improvement, but they are getting better in, in that uh, sense. Okay, so we we also know that this is a, a grand finale for one Kendra Coxedge, who's been one of the great servants uh, of the modern era of women's rugby. Um, it'll be sad to see her go, but what a what about a reflection on on Kendra, please? Oh, Kendra's an outstanding athlete. She made her debut back for the Black Friends in 2007. You know, it's 2022 now, and she still looks like she can keep going. It's just a personal decision of hers. I wouldn't be surprised if I see her turn out for a club team sometime next year and getting itchy feet. Uh, she's a great servant of the game. You know, she'll retire as the most capped black friend ever. Uh, she scored the most points uh, out of anyone in the Farah Palmer Cup. She's the first person to reach over 1,000. You know, she holds almost every record there is to Canterbury. Uh, when it comes to the women's game. She's just a real breath of fresh air around the environment. And she's also very encouraging as well, and you can see that she's very passionate about the women's game. So it will be sad to see Kendra uh, hang up her boots. And she was very emotional after the win, or, uh, the win on the weekend with Canterbury, you know, realising, you know, this is the last time to wear that jersey. So no doubt it'll be an emotional time for Kendra as well, but I also think it's extra motivation for the players in that team to make sure she gets her second fairy tale ending with the Blackburn. Just finally, Taylor, it is, what, uh, 25 days away, I think, uh, if I count correctly, 25 days away. So the reality is right here and now. Um, I just wonder what your expectations, what what are you expecting in terms of um, an overall performance by the Black Ferns and can they win this when you saw how much ground they had to make up from uh, the end of last year? Do you think they've closed that gap enough? Yeah, to be fair, after the end of year tour last year, we all had our doubts and I didn't think we would we would make the final. But after seeing the amount of work that all the ladies have put into this, uh, you know, in the Farah Palmer Cup, but also in the test matches leading up to it, I think we can definitely defend our title. You know, uh, 
it's, it's anyone's game at the end of the day, you know, even with the Wallaroos and when they played Australia recently, you know, the first test they bouted them, the second one it was much closer. So it kind of depends who shows up on the day and who can rest their bodies. Right, you know, it's still a tournament. You still have a short turnaround between games and things like that. But I definitely think the Blackburns, you know, have a chance at getting a sixth title. Um, they've put themselves in that position, you know, with the likes of Wayne Smith and Wes Clark, uh, Whitney Hanson all, all playing a part in that. But they've also just got so much determination and mana within that squad that I don't think that they will uh, fold easily. Taylor, absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, I, for one, can't wait. It's been um, It's been on the agenda, but when you see it's just next month, and we've now got the squad. Uh, reality comes in. So, hey, look forward to it. Um, I know you'll be heavily involved. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Nelly. Thanks for having me. This morning's with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yes, the reality of the Women's World Cup, not too far away. It's absolutely fantastic. October the 8th. So make sure you get your tickets, go to Eden Park, and be part of a, the start of a massive festival. I know it's a great shame that it's not going to be going around the whole country, but... If you can make the effort to get to Eden Park for that very first game to give our girls, uh, our ladies, a, a real lift um, and uh, a real, uh, I guess, a sign to know that they're universally supported throughout the country, I think that would be fantastic. So uh, October the 8th, Eden Park, New Zealand v Australia, World Cup, fantastic. Um, and on that subject, of course, we've just seen New Zealand vs Australia in the cricket. That's why I want to hear from you after um, 930 Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. I I just can't get over it. I just can't get over the fact that we get ourselves into such great positions, but we just can't push the button. We just can't put them away. And now it's getting to be um, it's getting to be Bledisloe Cup, Eden Park like. To be perfectly honest, uh, they can't come to Eden Park and beat us in the Bledisloe Cup. They simply can't. And it's you know it's it's more than just a hoodoo. It's 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 in the system. Whether we defend it uh, better, Eden Park, I'm not sure, as an All Black, but as All Blacks. But honestly, uh, we've we've got a, a pretty good side. It's a highly rated cricket side. The Australian commentators, the players, they rate us. Well, they do publicly anyway. I don't know what they think behind the scenes, but when I'm w- alongside them working, uh, and when you hear them talk in interviews and situations, we're a pretty highly rated side. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but we just can't get it done. We just cannot get it done. You know, five for 44, you can't beat them. You know, you, you get into a, a situation where you've got them in trouble, they get out of it, they squeeze their way out of it, and then when you look like you're making a decent partnership and a great run at a total, you compound. Time after time, walk off shaking our heads, and it is, it's, it's becoming quite depressing. Uh, and to get inside the players' heads, I just wonder what they're thinking. They will deny they've got a phobia against Australia. They have to deny publicly. If you said that openly, then you're in big trouble. But behind the scenes, uh, they must seriously doubt their ability to be able to beat Australia on Australian soil. They simply have, because they can't do it, and they haven't done it for so long. And uh, it's, it's starting to become, for me, uh, as a Black Cat fan and, and as commentator, quite depressing. God knows what it's like as a player. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. 0800 150 811 or text us on double eight double three. But please give us a call and we'll get a chemist warehouse voucher to the value of 50 bucks uh, to you. Great to hear uh, the news from Araha. Back on the airwaves for me in particular. One of my highlights of the day, and here's her 9.30 edition. Back time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811.
Yep, 0800-150-811 is the phone number, and you've been busy this morning. It's uh, fantastic to see the response. And first up, uh, it's Jeff, my great friend from uh, Cromwell. Jeff, how are you this morning? Yeah, good, Smithy. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a hard watch. I was pretty uh, worried about your blood pressure over there, bud. <laughs> um, yeah, mate. Man, I just can't believe how, you know, we had them, you know, 50, 40, 50 down for five and, and we let the foot off the brakes, you know. We we went with the, that attack, which seemed with Bolt and Co. And, and it seemed to, you know, was great tactics. And then we put on the spinners in that first test and... And then they just they just let let them off the off the hook, and we did that three times. You know the tactics were wrong. I just wonder whether, like you think of Kane, like Finch, is, you know, decided to pull the pin because he hadn't got any form, and he come from a winning team, and there's Kane, and a losing team has got no form. So so I think we've got to start looking at Kane seriously. Um, yeah, and well, I Jeff, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there for the first time in a long time. I think we've got to be flexible about that. Uh, Kane Williamson will always make our side um, as a specialist batsman. He is world class, and as they say, form is temporary, class is permanent. But when you're looking to regain form, you don't need a lot of other pressures around you. It's mostly important to us, seriously important to us, that he can be the best batsman he can because... In cricket, your runs are your bank. They're, they're your currency that you're dealing, and he's always been our best banker. So look, I, I, for the sake of uh, the captaincy of, of one form of the game, um, I don't think it would hurt for him um, to step aside and take the asset off. He's a family man. He's got other pressures. And I, I just think, Jeff, that y- you make a good point there. And, and I, I think it's a reality uh, check in that regard that... Um, that, that uh, Kane is probably looking at it himself anyway. Uh, he's a pretty sensible dude, so I would imagine he's considering it. Uh, Jeff, uh, thanks very much for your call. Joey, g'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, Smithy. Look, Smithy, we won. Um, the, did we win the toss? We won the toss in the last game, didn't we? We won the toss twice out of the three. Yeah, we lost the toss on the first one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, isn't isn't chasing? You know, it, it, sometimes it's better to bat, especially if you're struggling against Australia. It's better to bat and get get runs on the board and get them to chase. You know, in the first game, we had them five five for 44, and then he took off Bolt. You know, Bolt could have done another two overs, and even Bolt said afterwards, he said, oh, I, I was, you know, really... And he was he was knocking them over or causing problems big time. You know, and I know Martin Guptill might be out of form a little bit, but he's like, a, to me, like a Brendan McCullum. He'll go out there, and if he, if he gets over 30, he normally you know, can get up to... 70, 80, even a ton. But, um, and Kane Williamson, I think he still may have his problem with his elbow, and I agree with Jeff. Um, I think the captaincy possibly in the, in the one day should go to um, Tom Latham and just give Williamson to concentrate on his batting. And, and you know, and I think we just we just seem to panic, Smithy, you know, and when, when, we, when we lose two or three wickets, we, we, we're going, oh, we're going to lose four or five, you know, and we go out to, to poor, very poor shots. What worries me, Joey, is I think if I look at the opposition um, and the the various oppor- opposition around the world, we'd win most of those games. You know, uh, I think we'd win. We'd beat England if we got England in that situation. Beat India if we got India in that situation. We'd beat Pakistan if we got them to the point where we're that dominant on a score sheet. 
can't beat Australia. We cannot beat Australia over there. It doesn't matter if we've got them. Uh, if we've got them by the throat, we just seem to re- release that grasp on the throat time and time again. Most concerning. Thanks for your call, uh, Joey, and um, we'll move on now. I think Ed, my, my great mate, Ed from Tolaga Bay. Good morning to you, my friend. Morning, Matua Smitty. He mihi puto tēnei mō te tautoko te wiki o te reo Māori. Nau mai hoki mai ki Aotearoa. Welcome back to New Zealand there, Smitty. <laughs> you sound like an air hostess there for a second. Oh, my God. And I'm a truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good truck driver, mate. Well, honestly, though, it's a bit depressing, isn't it, Ed? Eh? Oh, man. Especially how all those batters did so well against the English in the first test, how those big numbers they were getting. Oh, man. Yeah. And then I felt sorry for you sitting next to your, your um, adversaries. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I'll tell you. Up, yeah, yeah, tell, tell you. Up. Cheer me up. Yep. East Coast beat Poverty Bay, man. What? Did I in, miss in that? In the heartland. East Coast beat Poverty well, I was, Bay. Well, I was away, I missed that. It was only just last weekend. Oh, Ed, 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 with oh, all that was going Ed, on I, around the world, how could I miss that? Oh, mate, and cause, well, last time I played Poverty Bay, um, I put a shot on the number eight, I got Sinbin, I came out of the Sinbin, I got a try. <laughs> Jack Higgins scored a hat trick. Oh man, it was just too much to handle. <laughs> that should cheer you up. So, and plus, don't forget, All Blacks on Thursday, we're going to win, and the girls are going to the World Cup. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, good on you, Ed. Ed, uh, thank you very much for your call. It doesn't matter how miserable I feel or how depressed I feel, you always cheer me up, buddy. Oh, and I love it. Thank you. Uh, Scott, uh, good morning to Scott uh, from uh, Taranaki. Scott, good morning to you, mate. Good morning, Ian. And uh, yeah, for me, the concerning thing is, and, and the out of form is there from Kane and also Tom. Tom's really struggled for a good part of almost two years now in, in all formats of the game, which has been, if you take away his score against Bangladesh, you know, we're really not showing up. It's the amount of dot balls we're happy to let happen in that middle period of the innings, which is a, a big concern for me. And it was great to see Phillips come into the lineup and give it some impetus about getting runs on the board and moving the ball. And there can be, you know, form, you, you, form is so important in, in cricket, especially confidence in getting in behind the ball and, and moving the ball into gaps. And instead of just dead balling half volleys, which Kane did a lot. So for me, we've blooded a few players. Like I thought Cleaver did a really good job against, you know, lesser opposition, of course. But he's been in form all summer long here in New Zealand until he got injured. And then he just carried that on playing for the Black Caps in Europe. Guys like that, Phillips, um, even Finn Allen to an extent, but I think he's still got a long way to come. I think he's going to be a good player in the future. He's not quite there yet, but I think at least he had impetus on getting runs, scoring shots, you know, playing the ball where he he was naturally going to put it instead of, you know, thinking, oh, well, I've just got to get myself in here. He played the shot regardless. So I think we need to look at form players and we really need to have a think about what we're doing in that middle period of an innings where we're quite happy to, 
you know, score a run off every four to five balls, it almost seemed, against Australia. But we're also doing it not just against Australia, but we're doing it against South Africa. We're doing it against England. We're, we've got a whole bunch of cracks that have been painted over by some really, really good innings now and then, and we've been able to get out of it. Like, the bowling attack almost got us out of a really poor batting innings every single time in that in that in that those three matches. I thought Australia, you know, fought back valiantly, especially Green. He's made of good nuggets, isn't he? You know, so yeah, no, you're right. More times out of not, we would put away teams that we have them twenty eight for four. You know, we should put them away. And some of Kane's captaincy was very puzzling too for me, Ian. Bowling Bracewell right at the end when Mitchell had bowled two overs to seven. Uh, and Oh, sorry, Nisham, sorry. And then the Bracewell bowled when Santner still had three overs left and bowled well. It's almost like he forgot who he had. And that's concerning for me. He's not dialed into the game because of whatever reason. He's just not. And I wonder if his heart's in it. You mentioned, Ian, that the, you know, some of these guys are walking away from the game. You know, because they've got family commitments and because they've got other things going on, IPL, whatever it might be, cash is getting in the way. I just wonder if he's fully 100% committed to what he's doing in that moment because, to me, there's been some real big captaincy lapses. Scott, you make some really good points there. Uh, You're a very good analyst. Um, I I would hesitate to say that his heart's not in it um, or his head's not in it for us. Uh, I think Kane Williamson's head and heart, uh, we, we should very... Uh, very, very, very seldom, if ever, question the heart um, and the performance over a long period of time. So, uh, but the head side of it, yeah, I mean, you have to be uh, on the ball to captain your, your country in three different forms of the game over a short period of time. Um, he has always been, always been um, susceptible to that. I, I think we're in tear on the brain, and, and I, I, I think that the, if you look around the world now, some of the very fine players who have stepped back from captaincy or had it removed from them um, and have blossomed as batsmen again because of that. And Joe Root, I think, is a classic example of that. Uh, The pressure of being uh, an England captain. Um, And, you know, he's openly said now, I don't know why I did it for so long. It was, you know, it was was basically affecting me. And I just think uh, Kane would, he might be one of those guys who doesn't want to volunteer and say, look, I, I, I don't want to do this in this form of the game. Well, if that's the case, it should be taken uh, from him. Um, and, and to be fair, I, I think the time is right now. Uh, sure, he takes us to the T20 World Cup. That is uh, just next month. Uh, but 12 months away from uh, the Cricket World Cup, we have to start planning and looking at how we're going to go about trying to get back to that final and win the final. We've been the last two, of course. Kane's been to both of those. But we meet, we might need some fresh looks at things. The re- the reason also, I, I think Phillips and Finn Allen look so good the other night. They haven't got long term phobias against Australia. They haven't lost to Australia. They have got no fear. And you know, they, they looked like they were enjoying the opportunity, relishing the opportunity to go at Australia, both Finn Allen and Glenn Phillips. And I think that was noticeable. The body language side of it. Thanks, thanks very much, Scott. Uh, some really good points there. G'day, Kirk. Good morning to you, Kirk from Wellington. Hi, Ian. How are you? Yeah, uh, nice to be okay. home. Uh, looking looking forward to the All Blacks tomorrow night, Kirk. Yeah, let's hope. I'll say just um, one quick thing on the cricket. I thought that uh, with um, 60-odd runs, 240-odd balls, if the Black Caps had gone along the ground with the gaps, uh, rather than trying to go over the boundary, I thought they thought they might have won them. What, do, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think you're right. We just took some, we took some poor options. You know, you, when it comes to run chases... Whilst it starts to build up um, and you, you can see the run rate required going up the whole time, you've actually got more time than you think. 
It only takes a boundary every now and then to bring that run rate required down quite markedly. So you've always got a, a, a chasing situation. That's why I like the likes of a, a player like a Daryl Mitchell to be there right at the very end because he doesn't panic, a non-panic player, a bit like our own very own Grant Elliott, those type of players who are great closers. Um, and when you lose your closers with 20 overs to go, you're in trouble and you're asking your, 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 your all-rounders and your, your bowlers to win a game for you for the bat. That was the issue we, we found ourselves in in terms of um, our run chases, getting ourselves in, or getting ourselves into situations where we were a chance, um, and we blew that chance. So that, that's the responsibility of a guy like Santner. Santner's been around for a long time now. He's got to look to be able to, um, you know, he's going to be a fixture on the side. He might even be a captain of the side. He's got to look to accept the responsibility for me a lot more often um, than he is at the moment. And, and those players in those brackets... Uh, Michael Bracewell coming in late. I know it's early in his international career, but he's got an old head on his shoulders. They're the guys that have got to win you games uh, from situations about uh, 15 overs out. That's their job. Uh, thanks very much to all your calls this morning. Uh, uh, really, I know you've, you're quite passionate about it. You've been sitting waiting to talk a bit of cricket. It's great. Uh, we'll give you the opportunity again tomorrow. And, of course, we shall also uh, talk about the rugby as well tomorrow and again on Friday. So thanks very much for all your calls today. We'll be back very shortly here on SCNZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. A lot of texts have uh, come in this morning, uh, principally on the cricket side of things. Hone uh, from uh, Tokomaru Bay, a great, uh, great uh, friend on the radio. I've never met Hone. I'd love to one day, actually. Uh, but thank you very much for your sentiments there. It is uh, pretty tough. Um, when you know you've got a side that's capable of winning, Hone, and you, you get into a commentary box situation and uh, you, you, you think this is going to be your day or your night and you can just see it dissipating in front of your very eyes time after time. So it's a, it's a, it's a bit depressing in that regard. I, and I'm, a, I'm just a commentator, for goodness sake. I'm not involved. I, what it must feel like as a player, Hone, uh, I, I do not know for it to happen time after time after time. Um, Carlos, uh, once again we loaded our black caps against uh, Australia with all-rounders without a specialist spinner, no Ish Sodi. Australia's top wicket-taker was leg spinner Adam Zampa with seven wickets. Santner took just two wickets. New Zealand cricket hierarchy love consistency and conformity and resist change. There's a great quote that sums this up. Excellence in obscurity is better than mediocrity in the spotlight. Do not go for conformity that breeds mediocrity. Choose instead to stand for transformation. England's transformation is well-planned, uh, change of attitude led by our very own Bears. It's time for a change, Carlos. Thank you very much. Thought very deeply about that. Um, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, might be just staring us in the face. Carl has come and said, uh, thanks for the horse tip from Mark War last Wednesday. What is Brad Haddon like now? He's not playing and gone to the dark side and commentating. Uh, yeah, it is amazing how uh, people on the field of play can be uh, pretty annoying and, and you, you remember them for the, the barbs and the, the stuff they throw at you. You can hear coming through the stump mics. Uh, he's a different guy. Um, he's just headed off, actually, uh, to play in the Legend Series. You would not believe the amount of money, Carl, that those guys get, these old guys, you know, these 40-plus-year-old 40, 40 guys who have long since finished playing the game seriously. They get dredged out of the system to go and play in Legends tournaments. You would not believe the amount of money that some of these guys are getting for that. It's staggering. It is absolutely staggering. It makes me wonder why I have not tried to stay relatively in shape and cash in at this very late stage. 
Uh, Carl, thanks for that. And uh, incidentally, he did have another two winners at the weekend or two place getters at the weekend, Mark War. One paid 12 to win. The other paid eight for a place. Did he tell me? No. Did I give it to him? Yes. Chris. Uh, Chris says, Smithy, why has Henry Nichols fallen so out of favour for one-day international cricket? He could make one hell of a difference uh, in the middle order in Australia last week. He could have. Uh, Henry's been out of form, uh, to be fair. I'm, I'm not quite sure whether playing against Australia is, uh, is where you find your for- form back. Of course, he played uh, as an opener for us, didn't he, in that 1990, uh, 2019 World Cup in uh, England. Played pretty well as well, I think, as a top scorer. Might have been our top scorer in the final, Henry Nichols, anyway, with a half century. But, uh, yeah, um, not out of favour. Of course, being a Cantab as well, he's very much in the thinking. We'll have more of those uh, texts uh, as we go throughout the morning. Thank you very much for your correspondence this morning. It has been great. We'll be back with a multi very shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when the whole Know when the fold up Smithy's multi Know when to walk away And know when to run Bet live on your favourite sports Download the TAB app today NPC Rugby tonight Yeah, getting back into it tonight uh, Waikato are playing Southland I've got Waikato minus 16.5 points uh, To beat Southland uh, So that's at $1.87 uh, Minnesota Twins to beat the Kansas City Royals this afternoon in Major League Baseball at $1.50. Tomorrow morning in Champions League action, Chelsea to beat Red Bull Salzburg at $1.30. That is $3.64. Waikato minus 16.5. The Twins into Chelsea, $3.64. After the break, Jamie Wall to talk about the All Blacks. He is on the ground in Melbourne, and uh, Jamie always gives us a great perspective. As does Araha. Here's the 10 o'clock news. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ten o three here in New Zealand. It's uh, a little bit earlier in Australia. And uh, Ian Foster yesterday, of course, has named a, a largely unchanged side to face the Wallabies at uh, Melbourne's Marvel Stadium tomorrow night. That's right. Uh, yep, Thursday night test rugby. The only changes being Brody Retallick returning to the starting lineup with Scott Barrett shifting across to the number six jersey and Hoskins Satutu in at number eight, which will uh, please Ken, um, our correspondent from Auckland, I am sure. Otherwise, it's the same side that rolled Argentina in Hamilton a couple of weeks ago. Over in Melbourne is uh, freelance rugby writer Jamie Wall. Just getting a sense for it. Jamie, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. How are you? Oh, I'm damn good. I'm home. You're over there. Uh, let's hope you have a lot more success than I did on my little venture. Um, Jamie, what's the feel uh, for Test Rugby in Melbourne this week on the basis of we know what an important week it is in the AFL? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's um, it's an interesting one. Obviously, being in Australia, usually when you go to Sydney or Brisbane for these Blazlow Cup games, you can, you know, you you can see the signage around the town, and then you, you know you see the people wearing the jerseys, and you have both teams out doing stuff in the um, in the in the community. <clears throat> um, but it hasn't been like that at all, Melbourne. Obviously, you pick up a newspaper, and the first sixteen pages uh, on the, in the sports are about AFL, um, which is you know really really something to look at. I think the first story uh, in the uh, Herald Sun. Um, about the Blazer Cup was was today, 
uh, was entirely about the war of the Wallabies, and they'd, they'd just lifted it from the um, Sydney Morning Herald. Anyway, so yeah, um, in terms of vibe, uh, it's a it's an interesting one um, because in saying all of that, uh, they are still confident of Marvel Stadium selling out um, uh, tomorrow night in. Uh, down at the Docklands there. So there, there is some interest. Obviously, there's a lot of New Zealanders here. Um, we did go out, uh, went to an AFL game on um, on Saturday night between Collingwood and Fremantle and did actually manage to just sort of, you know, go go around and talk to some people. And there, there's just a lot of Kiwis that, that were at least aware uh, of the game going on. So I think they can, they can count on a lot of um, expat support over here. Um, but, yeah, in terms of uh, visibility, it's... <laughs> It's pretty low. Um, I saw a guy outside our hotel painting a mural of um, all the uh, the AFL teams that are in the finals. Um, I don't think there's going to be anything painted of the All Blacks and Wallabies. Okay, right. Uh, now that we've we've got that uh, sorted, what what have you made of um, the All Black side that was named by Ian Foster yesterday and the changes that um, I, I guess he was enforced to make, really. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, we, we could have had this conversation on Monday or even last week because uh, he's definitely shown that he, he's going to stick with the team that he's gone with for the whole <clears throat> rugby championship. Uh, and the only changes he was going to make were, were injury or unavailability. And so, as you mentioned, um, Brody's come in, uh, which is he was probably going to anyway. Um, and then you've got Hoskins to uh, coming in at eight, which is great because um, it'd just be nice to see him play rugby for once um, because I think he's maybe had like one game in the last two months. Um, so hopefully he remembers what to do. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I think that the, the, there are still a few question marks over the form of some of the, some of the players. Um, we had a chat with Will Jordan yesterday who... Uh, admitted that you know the last few tests haven't haven't been his best, and I mean I think that says a lot about the impact that he's had in his young career. Of uh, you know, score, seems to be scoring like at least two tries a game. Um, that seems to have dried up uh, just because of the way that the All Blacks have been playing and the way that um, opposition defences have been treating him. He just barely barely hasn't touched the ball. He he admitted that, uh, but they, they are confident that this Wallabies team. Uh, are going to run the ball and play a more open open game, uh, which will suit the All Blacks a, a lot better. I think um, a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, uh, Aaron Smith, and some pretty ill-judged remarks, I thought, uh, bemoaned the fact that Argentina in their in their win in Christchurch weren't playing weren't playing to win; they were just playing not to lose by playing a very conservative game plan, which uh, was a pretty silly thing to say, really, considering that you know they actually did win. Um, the game, so he was sort of making up the one without even trying. Um, but I think what he was getting at was that, like, the Springboks, the Argentinians, uh, are obviously very kick-heavy uh, games. They don't like playing with the ball in their own half um, and obviously reliant on a lot of goal-kicking, you know, a lot of 10-man rugby. And the, the feeling is is that uh, the Wallabies are not like that. They're going to try and open it up, um, which would lead to at least... You know, a better spectacle, um, and let the All Blacks run it back at them. So the guys like Will Jordan, Kyle Clark, uh, Jordy Barrett, you know, can get a bit of get a bit of ball and space. So that's the theory, anyway. Um, I don't think it's going to be that straightforward. I think the Wallabies would be silly to just simply come in and um, try and run it from everywhere and expect expect to win. 
Um, so I think we're going to see something a little bit more open than what we saw against um, the Argentinians uh, in that first test anyway. Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> I, I, I am fairly confident of an all-black victory here. I saw enough in that last game uh, against the Pumas that uh, just led me to believe that you know things were kind of clicking back into place. They'd had their they'd had their hurry up in Christchurch, um, and also just looking at the state of this Wallabies team, where they're almost down to the bloody bus driver playing for them, that I, I, I feel like there's just going to be uh, a bit too much All Black momentum going into this one. I actually agree. I'm looking at. I'll get onto the Wallabies very shortly. I just want to refocus a wee bit, if I can, Pat, on on Hoskins Satuti because he he comes into a jersey number and uh, which has been owned by Artie Savia. Artie Savia, without doubt, has been the the All Black of the year. He's the one player that win, lose, or draw seems to step up and break tackles. Uh, so I think this is probably the area, the loose forward area, with Barrett coming back in first time since uh, the Irish first test. I think this is the area of most interest because if I look at uh, the Wallaby side of thing, uh, there's probably one of the areas they've got consistent quality. Valentini's had a hell of a season. Peter Samu's playing some great rugby and Rob Liotta is in the side as well. And I, I just think that that might be one of the battles of this Test match. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Um, if you look at that Wallaby team, that's definitely their, their strength. Um, it's also an all-Melbourne um, back row that they've got. Um, I, I not 100% sure, but I, I feel like that's probably the first time that's, that's ever happened with the Wallabies. Um, and, yeah, like you said, uh, Rob Valentini is, I guess, probably their ver- as close as, uh, closest thing to the Wallabies possess uh, of a version of Artie Savia of their own. Um, so Hoskins is going to have a pretty big job um, ahead of him. And it's also one of those selections where it doesn't really matter what he does. He could score three tries. Um, and do everything. When Artie comes back, he's coming back no matter what. So uh, it would be interesting to see what Hoskins' motivations are on this, um, given that it's you know it's been almost a year since his last test, and it may be another long period before his next. Um, but yeah, the 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 loose forwards have obviously been an ongoing conversation in the All Blacks um, for the last, you know, all throughout um, Foss tenure and, and before that as well, to be fair. Um, and it's it, because of the fact that Sam Kane's obviously the, the captain, um, you can't change it around too much. And now with Artie being out, we can actually see a little bit of a, a change up just to kind of see what, see what would happen um, if, he's, if he's not there. So it's, that, that's going to be interesting. Um, obviously, the Wallabies are missing Michael Hooper uh, as well. Um, so just haven't really kind of gotten to the bottom of what's what's going on there with him. Um, I think he's, I, I'd like to think that you know he, he's all good. Like he hasn't um, suffered any too bad concussions or anything like that, and that's what that's the, why he's um, sitting sitting these tests out. But they do obviously have a very uh, good replacement, Pete Samu, who's you know not unfamiliar to people on this side of the Tasman um, with his time with the Crusaders. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a tough battle. But, uh, again, the, the big one is going to be in the tight five, which is uh, an area where the All Blacks have just, you know, traditionally dominated um, the Wallabies. Uh, we've obviously, the, the big success story this season of the, of the All Blacks has been the front row, and so they'll be looking to dominate that area. Um, but then out in that, they've, you know, the, the Wallabies have 
had to change up their inside backs, uh, whereas the All Blacks have remained settled. And that's that's always, you know, it's, it was always a massive roll of the dice. You got Bernard Foley coming back, and you know he hasn't played what, three years. Not just not just a Test match rugby for Bernard Foley, but he hasn't actually uh, played a game of rugby since about May because he didn't play some rugby. He's been over in um, Japan, so there's that uh, that they that he's coming in pretty pretty rusty. And and they've swapped out uh, Nick White, who's been one of their more consistent selections um, over the past sort of five years uh, for Jake Gordon. So that'll be that'll be a pretty pretty interesting one as well. If we look at the two coaches, uh, both of whom we know very well on this side of the Tasman, um, what are you sensing the pressure is on Dave Rennie here all of a sudden? Um, uh, injuries, of course, have forced his hand a lot in this regard, but at the end of the day, he still can't um, be part of or pick a, a Wallaby side to consistently beat the All Blacks. How important for Dave Rennie is this, do you feel? Yeah, it's a really good question. We had a word with um, some of the Aussie Junos yesterday about this um, because you kind of get the feeling that the um, the, the clock's kind of ticking a little bit on on Dave Rennie um, because I think Rugby Australia had expected some some better results than what they've ha- they've been having and um, you know they've, they've, they've actually slipped down to their, their worst world ranking ever uh, that hasn't helped by the fact by the fact that um, They've had to play the All Blacks so many times over the last two and a half years. I mean, this will be the, I think, the eighth test uh, since since uh, 2020, um, which obviously hasn't hasn't helped them, and it also doesn't help that uh, New Zealand rugby have scheduled most of the, uh, at least half of those to their uh, Eden Park. Um, so you can cut them a little bit of slack there, but it's just the inconsistency about it. In fact, we're sitting there in that press conference yesterday and listening to the way Ian Foster was talking. I was thinking like. Well, Dave Rennie's doing a press conference naming his team around about now as well, and it's probably sounding exactly the same. They've, they've gone loss, win, loss, win. They've gone flat performance, good performance, uh, you know, good, really good win against the Springboks um, in Adelaide where they really showed what sort of team um, they can be and show, actually showed a bit of depth, which is one of the main criticisms of Australian rugby. They just don't really have that have the players underneath to kind of step up uh, if there's some sort of injury or unavailability crisis going on. Um, and then they turn around and got, got whacked in, um, in Sydney. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's pretty similar to what the All Blacks have gone through. Um, I, I think he's probably, he's obviously got a lot more leeway because, you know, it's Australia and it's not been a you know, national obsession um, like it is in New Zealand, like he's probably not getting as much um, heat on him from the public and everything, but within you know the Australian rugby community themselves, they're probably sort of going, okay, well, you came in with this reputation that you are going to turn this whole thing around, and you're the guy that was potentially going to coach the All Blacks, and you've chosen um, to come and and do this instead. When's it actually going to start happening? Because they've got a World Cup, you know, they're hosting um, the the World Cup after after next year. And they want to be in a position where they are going to uh, be able to win it uh, and capture the public's attention going forward. Because Australia, Australia, rugby Australia, put all their, putting all their chips on this uh, in terms of getting rugby back to where it was, back to you know in the late 90s, early 2000s when the Wallabies were you know world champions, um, had the Blues Low Cup, and 
were filling up uh, Sydney's Olympic Park, you know, with like 100,000 people. They they want to get back to that again. Um, there, there is going to be, they still are capable of drawing some pretty good crowds, um, but, uh, you know, it's not where they want it to be, and they need the team to start winning in order to do that. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of impatience going on. And if, if you look at uh, relationships, uh, do you sense... Um uh, an easing in the relationship between Ian Foster and uh, our media as such, uh, of which we're both part of, of course. Uh, do you think um, it's better in, in any regard? Are you, do you get more access? Are, you, are, they, are they opening their doors anymore? Well, it, it's about the same as what it's, what it's always been. Um, this is the first time I've been away with the team uh, this year. I heard some pretty... Uh, some bad stories of of what happened over in South Africa, where they, where there were no no access to the players or anything like that. Um, but I mean, this week has been fine. I mean, I'll call it fine because it, you can always get more. Um, the press conference yesterday went went, went well. Um, Foster was his usual self, which is he doesn't really give much away. Um, his body language could have been a little bit better. He just rolled out of bed, but. Other than that, I mean, you know, he said what he needed to say. Um, the players said what they needed to say. <clears throat> um, and, and really, it, it's kind of hard to really get a, a gauge on a certain a narrative within this team other than you need to start winning again. You know, uh, if, the, if you want things to change in terms of media coverage, it's down to you to win games. You need to win the next, I think it's six games of the season in order for us to be, you know, constantly writing positive things about you, because every time there's a loss, we have to talk about why. Um, I don't think that they really get that. That they they, they seem to be quite uh, thin-skinned around around criticism. But it's like, mate, you know, if you lose, we're not just going to just sugarcoat it and say that it's a good thing. Um, you know, you have to win in order for us to write positive things about you. So. I feel like there's still a little bit of lingering resentment um, within within the group itself. Um, personally, I think they need to grow up and just deal with it. Like it's their job, um, just like it's our job to just simply tell the truth about what's what's happening. Uh, but uh, I think that in terms of access, yeah, it's just the same way that the All Blacks have always operated. And for me personally, it's like that's good enough. I mean, you know, we got our time with the players yesterday. We'll have our time with uh, Sam Kane. Today, that's that's really all I need to be able to form an opinion on on what's going to happen tomorrow night. Jamie, always great to catch up with you uh, and enjoy uh, Melbourne. Do you get to stay on for the footy finals? Oh no, no, I, I got here on Saturday, so we managed to get out um, to the G on on Saturday night. We also took in a bit of the NRL beforehand because obviously Amy Park and the MCG are like right next to each other. So we went and watched the first half of the Storm and the Raiders and had a few there and then went over to the MCG and had a few more and then went out afterwards and had a whole heap more. So, you know, it's been a, it's been a really good time over here. Uh, it's a fantastic city. Uh, I, there's been a bit of talk about midweek test matches, but if they want to play more midweek test matches in Melbourne, I'm all for it because there's plenty to do over here, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, Jamie, I hope your visit to Australia is more successful than mine and we'll catch up with you uh, when you get home. Thanks for your time this morning, mate. Cheers, Smithy. Always, always a pleasure, mate. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Jamie Wall there, uh, the lucky one. Yeah, having a few there and a few. What a place to circulate and have a few. What I mean, those sporting facilities around that area, something to behold, honestly. 
And they're down at the uh, old Docklands, I think, for this test match, the new Marvel Stadium. I think it used to have a roof on it. I could be wrong, but I think it's got a roof on top of it. So, <clears throat> And that'll have a good capacity in Marvel Stadium. Interesting name. Uh, look, <clears throat> we'll be back very shortly with the panel. That's all I can say. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. We have got Guy Havelt with us this morning and James Regan as well, which I am particularly pleased about. And uh, Guy, we'll start with you. Um, and uh, I, I guess there's almost a bit of an anti-climax, the naming of the All Black squad We've been, uh, or the All Black team to play uh, the Wallabies. We've been in the past because of uh, all the events been uh, eagerly awaiting it but it was almost um, pretty much uh, what we expected Yeah, morning Smithy, uh, morning Jimmy and, and everyone else listening uh, Smithy, I just want to ask you how on earth did you survive a week in the commentary box with those with those bloody Aussies oh. bleating on about their cricket team? I'm, I'm yeah, impressed I know, <laughs> I'm an, I know. Uh, they are a, t- a very respectful bunch and, and I get on well with uh, Kerry O'Keefe Skull because we're the same vintage um, and he can see my, he can see he can see the pain through the back of my eyes. So he's pretty he's pretty cool on me. The others the others not quite so patient, but that's just fine. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It, I'm, I'm it, sure it we'll just, talk about that more. more yeah, we will over a, um, over yeah, yeah. Um, but the All Blacks. No, no. Look, I, I think it was pretty pretty well scripted, wasn't it? Uh, pretty well signposted that this would be the team. I like Scott Barrett at number six in this case. I think it's great that Brodie Retallick and Sam Whitelock are teaming up again. I will continue to beat this drum until they do it. I cannot believe that we have not seen Will Jordan at fullback yet. yet. The best fullback in the world, uh, and they continue to put him in a position that's not his best position. I think if you want to get you know, Will Jordan at his best, play him at fullback, and I will, as I say, continue to beat that drum until it happens. OK, interesting. James, what did you make of the All Black squad? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty interesting and not perhaps unexpected given what we've seen from Ian Foster uh, and his team naming in the past. I'm I'm glad they've they've stuck with that backline. Although I do have to agree with Guy to a certain extent to try Will Jordan at fullback and see what magic he comes up with. We've seen what he can do for the Crusaders and the All Blacks when he's given the chance to to maybe free up a bit and play with a bit of freedom and and express himself. Um, but it, it looks a solid team, and the more this team can can get games together and build combinations and, and get their confidence going and get momentum going, it'll only help. Um, the Wallabies will be well up for this, you can guarantee, given um, they'll probably see, they'll probably see it as their best chance in a while to, to have a crack at winning the Bledisloe, given where the All Blacks have been over the past few months, and the Wallabies have been a bit hot and cold, but um, from an All Blacks point of view, I, I think it's a good team, and it's um, it's going to be a really, really interesting game. I, I can't um, begin. I would never have named that Wallaby backline. I mean, Foley himself coming in, 71 matches under his belt, James. But to be honest, Jake Gordon instead of Nick, well, I would never have named that that backline, and I'm sure the All Blacks weren't expecting that. Yeah, absolutely. Considering how good, especially Nick White w- was going, and, and they were probably in the same boat as the All Blacks trying to build combinations and we saw a bit of it against the Springboks um, especially in that first game but you have to think that Dave Rennie there may be some method to the madness there but um, yeah I, I, I can't think of it myself and um, it'll be interesting to see whatever he says about the selections but it's a, it's a bit of a head scratcher that's for sure 
Guy Havelt, uh, we also yesterday had uh, the com- confirmation of the Black Ferns squad, World Cup squad. Um, they've had uh, quite a good preparation. They've been unbeaten under Wayne Smith now that it's just around the corner, and it literally is. How are you feeling about it? Um, it's a very good question. I, I'm struggling to read where this team's at. Obviously had some good wins over Australia, but they've lost four in a row and quite convincingly to France and they've lost to England twice in a row as well. Obviously, they haven't played them for a little while, and certainly not under Wayne Smith, so it's kind of hard to know where they are at in terms of those two teams, and I think they are the two teams that that are likely to challenge the Black Ferns the most for this world title. Uh, Look, going along to to the team naming yesterday, and and Jimmy was there as well, uh, there's just something about Wayne Smith. Every time he talks, um, you know, you, you, you kind of... I wouldn't say sucked in is the right term, but you really start to believe what he talks about. Uh, He's an incredibly bright man. Uh, The way he is able to explain what he's done and and how he goes about things is uh, I I have a lot of respect for. I mean, he he obviously left some massive names out of that squad, the likes of Chelsea Semple, uh, Eloise Blackwell, uh, even even Tyler Nathan Wong, who I think a few people thought, despite the fact she'd only played one game of 15s, for the Black Ferns, anyway, I, I think a few people thought she might have been in the team. I, I I really liked the way he said that they didn't make phone calls to the people that missed out. They went around all the hubs, sat down with them, and explained why they weren't in the team. I don't know if that's ever happened in terms of an All Blacks or a Black Ferns squad before, but I thought that was a massive show of respect uh, for a lot of those players from Wayne Smith and that coaching group. So, yeah, as I say, hard to read on exactly where they're at. I think they've improved. Whether they can win the tournament or whether they will win the tournament, in fact, I'm I'm not so sure. I think semi-finals, and then as we all know, anything can happen from there, can't it? Well, it can, guy. Um, we're going to take. A, I'm going to come back to you on that point, and James as well. Um, it's very interesting, actually. I read that as well, and I thought to myself, "Hello, um, never seen that before." But I wonder why. I'll come back to that uh, after we have a quick news break here with uh, Aroha. Big talk, big opinions. The panel. Talk to me, yeah. Guy Havelt and James Regan with us this morning and uh, I, I just want to pick up on that point that Guy made, uh, James, in terms of uh, the personalised treatment of disappointed players um, and I just wonder now, that is this uh, uh, something we're, we're going to see going forward in particular uh, with uh, women's teams on the back of uh, Glenn Moore getting oosted uh, with the treatment or supposed treatment within the camp and of course on the back of, and I, I, um, and I, I say this um, with the greatest respect, the Olivia Podmore situation where she felt obviously quite left out at certain times. Is this, do you think Wayne Smith has, has uh, introduced this type of policy of personal contact, of disappointment, um, as a legacy of some of those things? Yeah, you'd have to say, and, and it's probably um, something Wayne Smith and the whole coaching setup should be commended for the way they've gone about their business, not just with relation to the team naming, but the whole kind of culture shift they seem to have within the Blackburn. Something Whitney Hansen said yesterday at the announcement stood out in terms of they're not they don't just want to pick the best players, they want good people in their team as well. And and that kind of says to me that they know they've had run and they know they've not had the best preparation for a home World Cup. But if you can get to, as Guy says, hopefully the quarters or the semis, and you have the right people and the right culture in there, notably the sevens, the sevens players who have had amazing success. Alan Bunting's in there who's create, created an amazing culture in that sevens environment. 
if you can put things in place that kind of carry you through and make turning up to training during a World Cup that more enjoyable and give you that bit of belief, then I think that can that can carry you anywhere, especially when you're at home. So the way the whole coaching group, and especially Wayne Smith, of course, but the way they've gone about it seems to be really smart given they know they've not had the best preparation and they know they're not the best team in the world at the moment. England and France are obviously the top tier, so they've tried to change the approach and hopefully it works, but the way they've looked after these players seems to be top draw as well. Uh, what about you, Guy? Do you, you think uh, this will be the norm from now on or should be the norm from now on? Well, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't been the norm uh, until now. And, and as I say, I, maybe it has been. It sounds like it hasn't been. It sounds like this is the first time that that's kind of been a focal point of of, of a team naming, uh, particularly players that you've left out. I, I can't believe that it hasn't been before that, particularly for your players, the likes of, you know, in this case, Chelsea Semple, Eloise Blackwell, those types of players, um, you know, in, in teams who have given so much to those teams over the years. Uh, I would have thought that would have been the done thing um, in teams past as well. Uh, so I think it is a good move. And, and you know, I, I think you're right. I think it probably has been brought on largely by the review that, that was that was undertaken around Glenn Moore and, and all that sort of stuff and the results of that. I think it's partly, in, in part, possibly a little bit of a PR play, but also I think Wayne Smith is a, is a very, very upstanding individual that he would have gone we need to do this, particularly for those players who have been such an integral part of this team for so many years. James, uh, let's turn our attention, if we can, to the NRL, that bizarre game last weekend between South Sydney uh, and, of course, the Sydney Roosters. And the fallout from that now, of course, has been the judiciary. We see that um, pretty much everyone um, who was involved in that, bar Tom Burgess, has uh, he's copped a suspension, the rest... The rest, of course, are uh, free to carry on. And then you uh, now South is saying, what about this Tail and May situation where he's been clearly caught on video assaulting somebody, gets a two-game ban for that incident, but it's deferred till next season, and South is saying, well, hold the phone here. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, first of all, the, the, that whole week of finals, and particularly that last game between the Roosters and South was, was exceptional. It was entertaining, and that last game in particular was just madness. Um, but it was probably the most predictable storyline this year, wasn't it? As soon as the NRL made the decision about Taylor May, you just knew that, of course, with the games that were on, on paper, there was going to be suspensions, there was going to be a bit of fallout. And, of course, clubs are going to turn around and go, well, how is it different for him? Why, why are we copying it for this week in the finals and Taylor May was free to play? Like, it was just... It was incredibly predictable... It adds another layer of stupidity probably to the decision originally from the NRL uh, that they made around Taylor May. And clubs have every right to go, well, why should we cop a suspension when you're supposedly thinking of the fans by allowing Taylor May to play and our fans are going to suffer because whoever is suspended this week, it's just madness. And hopefully from a Kiwi's point of view as well, Jared Wade Hargraves is okay to, to play in the World Cup and his suspension gets carried over to next year. If the NRL claim to care about the international game the way they do, that would be great. But um, yeah, another another funny wee chapter in the in the NRL season. Doi, um, I'm not sure if you want to have a view on that. I I, I know that you'd probably like to have a view um, on the cricket. Uh, I, I'm I've been scratching my head thinking about this because they'll deny it till um, the proverbials come home. But 
the fact of the matter is we just cannot be Australia in Australia for a start. We just get absolutely bamboozled by them in any situation, it seems. I'm convinced of that now. I absolutely am. Yeah, I'm, I'm similar to you. Just on the league, uh, that's a joke in terms of the inconsistency around those around those bannings. Um, you know, make it one season or the next. Hurry, you know, decide. Um, don't be all over the show with with how you put those penalties in place. I think that's absolutely absurd. Uh, in terms of the cricket, it was tough, wasn't it? And and as I say, I can only imagine how brutal it would have been for you to sit next to those gloating Aussies in there. I think you're right. I think there is absolutely a mental barrier. For this team, I also feel uh, that this team is about to go through a bit of an ugly patch, uh, particularly in the Test arena. Uh, I think the Black Caps are probably going to. Well, we've already started to see it, but I think they're going to fall off the pace for a, for a wee while uh, to come. Uh, I was I was very very disappointed with the batting, uh, and that's to say the least. Um, you know, you, outside of losing Ross Taylor, uh, there weren't massive changes to the ODI team that we've seen in recent times. And they looked just, well, inept, really. They looked totally inept, apart from a couple of occasions here and there where players scored half centuries or, you know, 30s or 40s. That's not going to win you a game of ODI cricket. Uh, and they looked scared at times. They looked, um, they looked clueless. Uh, it, was, it was incredibly disappointing. And, you know, I, I kind of sit there and I think, well, you know, there was the big not really a debate, it was kind of like the, the Black Caps were given the Hellberg for the World Test Championship, and don't get me wrong, that was an amazing moment, but if we look back through that World Test Championship reign, they got thrashed by Australia throughout that. Uh, I'm not saying they weren't the World Test Champions, because they were, and it was an amazing moment in New Zealand history, but I just feel like until they start beating Australia on a regular, consistent basis, both here at home and in Australia... Uh, there will always be a little bit of an asterisk for me around around this team and how they're going. So, yeah, uh, a lot I think to work on for this Black Caps team, uh, and and a few a few concerning elements as well going forward. Totally agree. Totally agree, guy. Uh, and James Regan, um, I'll give you the last word on this. How much are we going to miss Trent Bolt when we can't have him after what we saw in Australia? Yeah, massively, isn't it? And it's kind of one of those things we've been so lucky to have him and to Dowdy for so long. Um, and it always had to come to an end, but you, you just hope there is another player coming through, another couple of players coming through, looking at who who will walk away in the next <clears throat> couple of years. Um, otherwise, this team is, is in a bit of trouble, um, given what we saw in Australia. And it's not the best Australian team by any, any stretch, but relying on a couple of players like Trent Bolt, you, you just can't do it in international cricket and hope for their sake there are a couple of, a couple of guys coming through who can fill those those shoes because he will be desperately missed, yeah. Well, if they are, I haven't seen him. Yes, yes, guy. If you're going to play Tim yeah. Saudi, if you're going to play Tim Saudi, um, why, I mean, he is one of the best bowlers with the new ball in terms of swing. If you're going to play him, why wouldn't you open bowling with him? That was one thing. I think it was in the second game where I really, really was scratching my head around that. I know Trent Bolt was amazing, but when you've got Bolt and Saudi swinging the ball, there is arguably no better combination in world cricket. And and for him to come in uh, as first change in the bowling order, I thought that was quite strange. He should be opening. If he's going to play, he should be opening the bowling every time. Yeah, and I, I also think we missed the trick. Um, and how good is Ben Sears? I mean, we hear a bit about this, but why didn't we play him in Game 3? Yeah. I mean, unless he was injured. Why, why did we not play him in Game 3? Why not, 
just like we found out a bit with Finn Allen. We, you know, we found out, um, you know, with Glenn Phillips, guys without history against Australia actually might approach them differently. Uh, why don't we play BNC? Is that, that, that's something I've got to scratch my head about for a while as well when we had that opportunity. Anyway, thanks, uh, guys. Guy Havelt, uh, James Regan, we've been the panellists this morning. Thank you very much. We'll have another one uh, this time tomorrow morning, and I imagine we'll talk uh, quite a lot of rugby about on, on that one as well. Maybe some cricket as well. 10.44 here on SCNZ. Call any time. 0800 150 Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Yeah, time for reflection actually for a minute or so. I got a text uh, that had just come in which uh, saddens me. Smithy, uh, look for the All Blacks to pull out a big performance for their former coach driver, Grunter, RIP Grant Kelly. I, I was unaware that uh, Grunter, Grant Kelly had passed away, so... Lovely man, uh, terrific man actually, and a very, very popular within the All Black group. So uh, I had no idea. So uh, my condolences go out to uh, his family and friends and uh, those in the All Black camp that knew him very well. Uh, and also, um, uh, whilst I was away, of course, uh, Sky Rugby lost a terrific commentator and uh, Willie Losey. Willie Losey, I always liked uh, working with Willie Losey because he always arrived at the ground with a smile on his face. He always left the ground with a smile on his face. He loved what he was doing. Uh, he loved the game of rugby and he was passionate uh, about all forms of the game, whether he was commentating on super rugby or uh, NPC rugby, on uh, women's rugby, on uh, grassroots rugby or uh, heartland rugby or first 15 rugby. Willie Losey would be as well versed, as well prepared on any one of those games that he was uh, able to be involved with and he loved every second of it. Very, very easy man to work with because of, uh, of just how positive he was and how much he enjoyed his job. And he will be severely missed, Willie Lowe say, in the Sky commentary box and around rugby circles. And a very, very proud Tongan at that. A hell of a rugby player. So very sad. It was uh, it took me quite a while to get over that, uh, when I was in Australia to get over that news. I had to double take on a number of occasions. Good man. A really good man. Gone way too young. It is 10.51 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And it uh, might as well be called Synthetic Day today because uh, we have uh, synthetic races at uh, Cambridge and Rickerton Park, which uh, leads me to ask uh, Louis Herman what, um, whether uh, the synthetics go to bed over spring and summer. Do they or not? Yeah. No, I think they do. I'm pretty sure this is the last meet at Rickerton for the uh, last synthetic meet at Rickerton for the summer. I'm not too sure about Cambridge. Obviously, they'll still be used as trial for trials. Um, I'm not too sure about the Cambridge synthetic, but I'm pretty sure this is the last of Rickenham for a while. And there's a few short price favourites going around today, Smithy. Obviously, the synthetic form is well and truly exposed by now, and we've got some nicer, fast ones coming back to the races as well. Um, I've made Westwood race number six at Cambridge, one of my best bets of the day, along with Ballas the Bull and Illicit Miss for Tiako down there in... 
Christchurch. They've just had some exposed synthetic form down there. They came out of that Topol meeting a couple of weeks ago. They've already won. They find similar-ish fields. I just think they'll be too good. Um, Prowess, an interesting flea. Uh, an interesting runner for Roger James and Robert Wellwood in race number three at Cambridge. Could have a bit of a potential. We'll watch that. And here's one for you across the ditch today, Smithy. Sandown race six, Victoria Rock. Punters will have piled into this. She won for fun at Matamata for Jamie Richards last season. Uh, bought, sold, I'm pretty sure, to Australia and now trained by the Freedmans down there in Victoria. And uh, lots of people have been waiting for her debut at the races. She's going to have plenty of people backing her, plenty of people trying to get her home. I've got $2.50. I think you could get about 3 bucks last night or even more than that. Really interested to see what she closes at. That's race six, Sandown. She could be a little bit special, Victoria Rock. Good on you, Louis. Thank you very much. Um, and I'll uh, certainly have a, a little bit of my leftover Aussie money on that this afternoon. Thank you. Uh, Pip Morris from the TAB. Pip, good morning to you. Racing today, Greyhound Racing at Palmerston North and uh, some rugby markets too. Good morning, Smithy. It certainly is. And I think I have you, Toby, in race number 11. It looks a good bit. He's short at $1.85 off box number three, but does look like he can get over the top of the kennel, mate, there to first fire. And you're just on the rugby. There's not a lot of betting on tonight's NPC match. 99% of the money Smithy staked on Waikato, not surprising with how short they are in the market head-to-head. And 13 or more has been the best-backed winning team in margin. And, of course, we do have that promotion to match that as well, bonus back. Place a pre-match winning team in margin bet on selected rugby union matches. If your team wins, but you get the incorrect margin, we'll refund you up to $50 as a bonus bet. And a couple of other little plays on the NRL, $1,000 and $500 on the Panthers outright winners at 180 That came in on Monday after the Storm and the Roosters being knocked out. And just quickly, Smithy, for the Major League Basketball today, there's been 5800 on Cleveland versus the LA Angels. Total runs over 10 and a half at 285 Another 2500 on total runs over 8 at $1.80 on the same game. And 25 on Boston versus New York Yankees. Total runs over 8.5 at 180 So some little plays there and, and some not-so-small plays either. Pip, thank you very much for that. I uh, love a good baseball bet, got to be fair. I uh, love the fluctuations in that. Uh, we're coming up to the 11 o'clock news with uh, the wonderful Aroha. And after that, we shall be talking to Craig Sid coming out of uh, the Otago Cricket Association. He has a new role, exciting, and maybe a way forward for the future. 11 o'clock. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.03 here on SENZ, and I'm very pleased to say uh, welcome to the show to uh, Craig Cumming, of course, a former Black Cap uh, commentator extraordinaire, um, but uh, of late, too, uh, an ultra-successful uh, women's cricket coach, uh, and also uh, has just been uh, given or applied for and been given a new role uh, with Otago Cricket, which I imagine uh, will expand into uh, Otago sport as well in general. Um, Craig Cumming, good morning to you. It's been a little while. Uh, good morning, Smitty. And yeah, it has been. Uh, I missed you on the rugby, but obviously, I felt you a bit being over there in Australia amongst those Australian commentators and you're trying to fly the flag. It was a little bit tough for you over there, though, wasn't it? It was a little bit tough. We'll get to that in a <laughs> minute, Sid, if we can. Uh, but I, I really yeah. would like to talk to you about the, this new role because um, uh, it's exciting. 
Is, uh, tell us a wee bit about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it is exciting. I mean, um, people probably say I oh, was just doing what he was normally doing because I, I have coached the Sparks for the last two years. But the difference was I, I did that. And I still had a day job where I was director of sport at Otago Boys and. Otago Cricket have made a decision that they wanted to invest more into the game and um, in the Sparks, um, and they needed a full-time coach, but someone also now to oversee and lead, I suppose, the development of our of our women's program uh, in the province of Otago because, you know, we, it's a space that's evolving very quickly, um, and, and it requires, you know, full-time hours, and, and even running the Sparks in the, in a, in a summer um, is... Yeah, pretty busy. So, you know, the schedules aligned to the men's and especially with the white ball and, you know, for the players to get, I suppose, increase their development and um, be able to get better and, and understand uh, the environment more, you need the person leading it to, to be fully invested in it and have the full-time capacity to do it. So Otago Cricket came up with this role. It was a wee bit nervous for me, Smithy, because um, I was leading the winter program, but I had to apply for it. Um, and it was tough while you were going to with the training and you're, you're running the, the players um, and getting them prepared for the season, the, the, the end result, I didn't know if I was actually going to be coaching. I decided I wanted to do it. Um, I wanted to put my name forward. I think it's a really exciting time um, from, you know, not only a coaching space, but to lead um, the development of a, a new program. But, um, you know, like anything, you had to go through, and I hate the word now, Smitty, the process, and um, had put my best foot forward over a couple of interviews and, um, you know, got selected, uh, was it last week, um, to, to be successful. So, um, you know, really exciting time, and, and what that means is I'll, I'll have to give up my job at Otago Boys, but I've been here four years, and I can't wait, actually. You know, um, you know my mind, Smithy, I lo- love talking cricket. I love, you know, thinking about it, and, and now I'll actually have the, the ability to have, spend my days and, and focus on that and help develop the athletes and develop a program for we want to create white foods in the future, and, and to do that, though, you've got to have someone leading it and then spend time on it and develop that program. Uh, the other thing about it, and uh, I, I notice this has uh, been creeping in, into women's sport, which is a wonderful thing, is not the pathway uh, to uh, the pathway when you, you first see this talent and you first recognise this talent, but the pathway doesn't really stop when you finish with this talent because they've got life to live after cricket as such. They're semi professional, um, you know, their, their, their salaries are, are going to increase, so they're not going to get any less. So it's becoming a much, much more professional, I think, for the want of a better word, at, um, atmosphere around the whole thing, uh, Craig, which leads on to a pathway after cricket, which you, I, I guess you've got to look at too very seriously. Yeah, it's, it's a very different environment. Like, I mean, we've got currently, obviously, the Bolts, you know, that they're on full-time contracts. So basically, every day they're training or doing something and they're expected to report to duty at 9am or it could be 6.30 and, and that's part of what they do, whereas... With um, in the female space, we you know especially domestically, we've got contracts, but their their contracts are only you know a couple of grand, and they they still have to have lives. They still study, they still work. Um, so we've got to actually fit our schedules uh, around their normal day to day life because they they can't make a living off it. Um, the match payments have increased um, and aligned to to the men's, which is good because they they still put in the same effort and they go through the same emotions. But you're right, and that means even more so when you know from a coaching point of view, some of it's been really tough for me, because I have a day job as well, that you're not that flexible to work with the players because some of them can do stuff in the mornings or some of them can do stuff in the afternoons or in the evenings, and you've got to be flexible and be able to try and work with them to allow them to live their lives. But in saying that, they, there's also more expectation now, and, and you know it when it's on TV. Um, you know, we, we want the standard to increase. We want the players to develop. And to do that, we've actually got to spend time probably 
more individually, instead of having the old team training and we all get together in the nets um, and we do our two or three hours, we've got to spend time developing the skills and developing um, you know, everything to do with the athlete. So that means you've got to have someone being able to be flexible and have more time and actually give them um, I suppose, the support they need. So, um, you know, there are great carrots now, though, Smitty. I mean, you know, our white ferns, are, they're on, you know, they play, they get contracted, they could earn six figures. So um, you want to you wanna keep that inspiration there, but you've also got to be really careful to balance it out and make sure, and one of the things I've learned, especially in the last couple of years, but i also learned as a player, that we need to make sure that they're playing for the right reasons. I, I talk about it being pure, Smitty. They still play because they love the game and they love being around each other. So we never want to lose sight of that because that actually motivates them to get better as well. Okay, let's look at um, your breeding ground as such. Um, and on the back of your success, uh, which you obviously had in the Halliburton uh, Johnson, uh, I, I just wonder what is your squad looking like this year? What are the numbers looking like? And Otago women's cricket as such. What's your what's your school set up? Your club set up as such. We, 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 how deep is your breeding ground all of a sudden? Yeah, that, and that's a big part of of the new role. But because what's happens is, I mean, I I, I said I learnt more in the last two years probably than the players um, around the, the the environment around the programs um, this year in Otago. We don't have a club competition for our female athletes. We're getting one underway. Uh, we don't have an A program. So basically in the past, Smitty, our players have gone from playing at school and if you're really good, you're in the Sparks. Next thing you know, you're going up and you know, you're playing at first-class level. So we need to develop that pathway from under-19s to the A program into, a, um, into the Sparks and actually allow the players to develop physically, technically and mentally. So the, the big, big focus this year is getting players playing more. We literally... I've got a group of Sparks who grew up who really only ever played cricket for a target. They've played no other cricket, and if we don't have any scheduled games for the Sparks, they don't play cricket. They basically just have the weekend off, or they might train. So we need to get more playing opportunities, not just um, here, but around the country and playing other teams as well. And we've got to be careful, again, mindful that they're not full-time athletes, um, so we've got to balance that up. But we've got to get more playing opportunities. We've got to get the girls playing uh, you know, club cricket, A cricket, um, you know, fingers crossed, maybe even touring to Australia, um, getting some of our athletes and they're really keen now to go over and play in the off-season in the UK or maybe go to Australia in September. We've just got to get them playing more, Smitty, because their awareness of the game is getting better and better. But the more they play, the more they're around um, cricket, that's where they learn the most. And the interesting thing too for me, right here as we look at the, um, uh, the White Ferns in particular and we look at your side, the Sparks, and we, we look and, and who they look up to. OK, Susie Bates. Long-term yeah. uh, White Fern, absolutely world-class player, and they think, gosh, she's been around the scene so long, I've got to wait forever. No, you don't, uh, Otago Sparks, because you look at Eden Carson, just 21 years of age, now has made the jump, and, and there's an immediate pathway. Absolutely, yep. And, and even looking at the White Ferns, you know, um, there are plenty of opportunities. I mean, there, there are three girls, I think, in there at that moment that are, you know, still under 19s. Um, you know, Georgia Plummer's still young. She's only developing. She's only played a year and a bit. You've got, um, you know, Fran Jonas again. Um, so it shows that if you've got the talent at the moment, we are missing that middle bracket. We're missing that bracket at the moment just below that from a, a woman's game. But also the quality, you know, maybe the question is Amy Satterwhite, should she be there, should she not? Um, but there are real opportunities. And what it just shows, even Eden, she went to the Com games and performed really well in the game. They're not far off. But we, we need to produce more. We need to have that A program or, or that next tier below getting jam-packed with players who are playing, have got experience, but more importantly, Smitty, have also scored runs, taken wickets and fielded. 
Um, at the moment, you know, one or two performances can be enough to get you into the top bracket. We need we need to strengthen that up. And, you know, we know when we talk about the black caps, the strength of the black cap side is what's actually the guys pushing the guys below that. So from a woman's point of view, there's a lot of work, but it's also really exciting because I think I always talk about paying the players more doesn't give you better results, but the resourcing programs and getting um, more coaches involved, full-time coaches in this instance, you know, more resource coaching, then that's going to help our program out long-term. We're going to develop better cricketers. We're going to give them more experience. They're going to have better tools when they actually turn up into the white firms. And then they're going to get better performances. And um, the more we do that, then our top end is going to take care of itself. But got to really work hard in the next couple of years in the space. And for us, it's even below that. Um, you know, Christchurch has got a really good setup. They've always had club cricket. Auckland's got club cricket. Um, but the other provinces don't. We've got to get more of it. But to do that, Smitty, as well, we've got to have the numbers playing. So part of this role is that I want to try and inspire young girls who are playing, you know, maybe 12, 13 and 14 to stay in the game, to get inspired, to keep going and keep playing, give them fun, give them enjoyment, and then eventually they'll come into that bracket where we look after them from a performance point of view. The other thing that's always interest, uh, of interest to me down in Dunedin is, is historically um, the university has played a, a huge part in the development of sporting teams down there. You don't have to look at rugby. Uh, we know that. Yep. It's quite transient in that regard. Is that the same in, in women's cricket? Do you rely on the university for that middle group that have come to town to further their education, etc., but have been cricketers in other provinces? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's a great point because um, you think of, you know, the, the heyday of Otago rugby, you know, how many people come down. And I think we're starting to go back to it. The problem we have with cricket is that um, the terms finish in end of October and a lot of the athletes that come down here uh, then go back home because it's the it's the it's the varsity holidays. But what we need to do is, and part of this is again identifying any of the players that come down to them, and actually they see that we've got a quality program down here, and they stay and they're willing to stay through the months of December and January and early February when they they're not um, you know at varsity because they want to be cricketers. And if we can create a really meaningful program and align use that as one of our big tools, not only actually in the, the female but in the male space. Um, then that is a great asset for us, but we've got to actually we've got to have a program for this. There's no point promising the world to people that come down if we don't have anything to deliver to them. So if we can do that, then the, the university becomes a huge um, tool. And as well as I mean, the university have scholarships, Smitty. They do. They have performance scholarships. So can we align with them and the Polytech uh, to try and entice athletes down here? We still want to produce our own. Don't get me wrong. We want to make sure that. Uh, we're developing our own here, but you're always going to need a little bit of help here and there. And if we can have people knocking on the door because they want to stay here, um, that is a big big jewel in our crown if we use it well. Sounds exciting. Uh, it really does. So yeah. I look forward to hearing more, more about it. What's the program looking like, actually, for women's cricket? I know there's, uh, it doesn't get any smaller. So domestically, uh, Halliburton-Johnson, and of course you've got the, the women's version of the Super Smash, etc. So how busy is this year? Yeah, all locked in. Yeah, it's um, you know we've got to, it's we, we get underway in November, uh, have a little break early December, so the H the fifty over start, and we have a break because um, the White Ferns are playing Bangladesh here in early December, and then basically from about the fifteenth we play another round of fifty overs, and then it's all go with the Super Smash. Really, the next two months are, are chocker. Um, so, you know there'll be there'll be a lot of cricket. Um, there was talk I think about some more games, but. For us, you know, we don't we want to have an opportunity for an A program and that sort of stuff in there. But no, no, it's um, it won't take long to roll around. I can tell you some of the we're training on grass in Dunedin at the moment. Believe it or not, do you know that on grass in September? No. We've got really? a big marquee up actually. 
Yeah, no, we've got a mark, you know, those <laughs> state-of-the-art marquees. But I tell you what, yeah, yeah. last night we had a southerly hit, Smithy. It was about two degrees outside, but we were training in under a marquee, bone dry, on grass. The lights are on. Uh, it was fantastic, and, and the vaults are using it too. So they're the areas that are making big gains um, around the country um, and giving our players the best chance to, uh, to prepare. Because as you know, Training indoors on artificial pitches, uh, concrete bottoms, it, it just doesn't produce good cricketers. You don't learn the skills you need. So, no, no, we're in there, and uh, even I'm getting the ball to turn a bit in those nets, Smithy. So, um, you know, it's, it's good. It's good. We're training on grass. You're turning it, mate. If you're turning it, the world is a new place. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, 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 tr- let's draw a line under that and start on the other issue I, I was desperate to talk to you about, and that, of course, is uh, the demise of the Black Caps. And it was a demise in Australia because if we were completely and utterly outplayed and had no chance uh, in any of the games, I'd run with it and just say Australia are a much better cricket team. So be it. Uh, we had winning opportunities, uh, perhaps in all three of those games. Couldn't take mm. it. Is there is there a, a mental phobia? Is there a, a something there that you can see from the outside that stops us beating them? I don't know if there is. I mean, I mean, you know the guy. I don't think this black cap side um, has mental barriers against anyone. I, I just think at the moment, and I was trying to work it out. I was trying to probably come up with the the excuse that we haven't played a lot of one day cricket, um, and we haven't since the two thousand and nineteen. And it looked like we just lost how to play the game. We'd, we'd lost our understanding of what the game's about. And, you know, but then I thought about it. Well, when I, we've been to the West Indies, uh, you know, we've had all these tours through Ireland, Scotland and Holland. And I actually think, Smitty, what's happened in the last... Since 2019, we've, got, we've obviously had COVID, but we've also had all these tours where... Would you, up until this tour, actually know who our best players are and also what positions they fit into? And, and I thought about it. I thought, well, actually, I don't think we do because... One, we haven't played enough, but because we've sort of rolled out so many different teams on all these different tours and players don't go here and go there, I think we've lost we've lost our identity as in who our best players are. And I think the players might have lost a little bit of their understanding of what their roles are. And we've got to find that really quickly because we're at the top of the tree. We're going, we're going down the hill the other side pretty quickly. And... Um, I think that last game might have showed, you know, what they've actually might have recognised that. But again, now we lose Trent Bolt potentially, and we've got to find our best team and actually get them understanding the style of cricket we want to play, and get them doing it. Because I don't think it's a mental barrier with Australia. I, I really don't. I just think at the moment um, we we just for some reason they seem to go up and we don't. But you're right. I mean, I was sitting there. Well, there were many opportunities to win, especially those first two games. But I mean, we just couldn't knock them off and. Then they got too many with the bat, but we need to find a way. But I, I think this is not just against Australia. I, I think we need to find our identity. And I and then I forgot, and, and you'll be a great one to remind me. We've also lost Ross Taylor, um, and yeah. you know we, we're world class number four. And number four is a really important position in one day cricket. And you know Ross is averaging in the mid forties, uh, as his records as good as anyone in the world. And you also probably forget the calmness and, and the confidence that he gives players in the changing room. And often that can just be a simple word of trust yourself. Let's go out. Trust me. And, and we've lost Ross and Kane's not in great form. So when you think about our success in the in the last sort of 10 years, it's been built on those two in our middle order. We've lost one of the major rocks and the other one's battling a wee bit with four. I think he'll come right, Kane, but it's just taking him some time. Okay, well, here's a, a text that has come in from Rob whilst you've been speaking. Uh, Smithy, it's not only this series we have done this. The test matches in England, we got into winning positions and didn't deliver. If Baz was captain in the last series, 
I bet we would have put Aussie away. We need to play a more aggressive game of cricket. Therefore, uh, Kane Williamson's position on the side is undoubted as a batsman. What about um, his ability now um, that he's getting on a bit, he's got injury issues as such, to captain our team in all three forms of the game? It's a rarity in world cricket. Yeah, and bang on, it really is. Um, you know, and, and you know, Kane's style of captaincy is it's a little bit um, slower uh, the way he does, especially when he captains on the field. Uh, slower, as in, you know, Baz would have four slips, two gullies, and then you know, two guys in close if he could. Um, Kane's more methodical; he's more calculated, um, and yeah, it's right. I mean, it's it's a tough gig trying, even coaching. You know, all three forms. You know, with Gary Stead there, it's a tough thing to do. And then the captaincy. The only thing is, who's the next captain uh, in each format? I mean, it's Tom Latham now. Tom's not a aggressive by nature sort of captain or a Brendan McCullum style captain either. He's more probably along the lines of Kane. So, you know, I'm not quite sure. Again, it's hard to know because you know I still can't work out who our best eleven is, and that includes Test cricket, Smithy. I mean, we're at a stage now where we haven't played a spinner since he got ten wickets in an innings. Um, you know, what's our best 11 when it comes to test cricket at the moment as well? So I, I think we just, we need to find that really, really quickly uh, and invest in that and, and find out what the next two or three years look like. And I, I sort of thought they maybe did that in that one-day uh, game. I One area that I did notice that we probably, you know, Lockie Ferguson didn't quite have the same impact he's had in the past bowling first change. If he was able to pick up some more wickets, I think that would have made a big difference because Trent Bolt did a really good thing. They're not far off. They're not far off, but the problem the back caps have got is that we've got high expectations of them now, Smitty. We're expect, we want them to be at the top of the tree, and we, we expect them to be. So um, they're going to have to find the formula really, really quickly. We've got some quality players out there, so that's not a problem. You know, Glenn Phillips has showed, you know, um, but again, you know, where do they all fit in? You know, Conway's gone from middle water to top. You know, does Phillips fit in? What's Daryl Mitchell's role? I mean, he's become one of the most valuable players. Michael Bracewell, um, you know, he's playing Test cricket, one day cricket, T20 cricket. So, but we leave East Sodi at home. So I don't know. It's um, they've got to find their best players and, and find their identity really quickly. Always great catching up with you, Craig. Um, congratulations on your new appointment. I know that Otago Women's Cricket now will go forward at a great rate of knots now that you've been given that opportunity. So, I uh, look forward to, <laughs> to watching the progress. You're biased, yeah. Yes, I know, I know I am. Uh, you know, I can tell you that in the Fox uh, commentary box, uh, they have makeup artists uh, dabbing makeup on you. They have bl- people taking lint off your jackets and all sorts of things. You, you know, cr- comfy chairs, all the technology in front of you. You know, the, the one thing that's missing at the start of every day, don't you? Uh, they, no one would make you a cup of tea. There you go. The most no important one, part no of one, the day. No, yeah, no one makes you a cup of Dilma tea. It was fantastic, right. mate. I miss it. Okay, uh, great catching up, mate. Awesome. Uh, all the very best, and um, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Cheers, mate. No problems. Cheers. Uh, Craig coming there um, with a brand new, spanking new expanded role uh, within Otago Cricket, uh, really to focus on developing uh, further the women's game, bearing in mind, of course, they were very successful last season in their own right. It's 11.23 here. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Sometimes I think we talk more about the coaches than the players these days, uh, particularly here on SENZ, and uh, I always feel quite safe about our football um, because the All-Whites, because Danny Hayes in charge of it. But he was on the show yesterday with uh, Beav uh, and Steve yesterday, with Beav and, uh, and Steve, Stephen McIver. Beav and Steve, he'll hate that, Stephen McIver. He's Stephen. 
um, and they were talking yesterday uh, about general things with Danny Hay, and uh, they asked him about his uh, coaching future with the All Whites. You're being incredibly humble here, Danny, because the reason there has been so much progress is because of you and the way you coach and the, your, your attack-minded philosophy and, 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 and possession. I mean, was that had that always been the intention? When you came into the job, did you say, you know, we need to change the way New Zealand looks at football and the all-whites to make it, I'll be blunt with you, far more appealing to the eye? Yeah, look, you, you know the old adage, do what, do what you've always done and get what you've always gotten. And uh, look, if I looked back, the one thing when I took the job, I looked back and really thought deeply about my own time in the All Whites. And actually, you know, we were never, we were never, actually, we were never told it by the coaches, but the way they set us up, you know, we were, we were pretty much told you weren't good enough, you needed to be defensive-minded, we needed to try and soak up pressure, try and nick something from a set-piece or counter. And... So for me, it was you know, do I want to do I want to keep doing what we've always done, or show some real courage and do something completely different and try and empower these players to to play a brand of football that I truly believe they were capable of. And uh, you know, having worked with a number of the younger players, having done two under seventeen World Cup cycles, you know, I, I firmly believe that they were capable of playing that brand of football. And that with people like Winston Reid, Michael Boxall, Chris Wood, etc. Um, to support them, that, you know, we could do something that might, you know, create a little bit of excitement and energy around the game in New Zealand. Okay, Danny, one final thought in the News Hub today reporting that you're you're not so sure. The suggestion that you may not, may not re-sign uh, with your contract coming up with Football New Zealand. Can you give us an update as where your head stands at the moment? Well, look, that just simply comes down to the fact that I've I've had no communication with New Zealand Football. Um, around extending the contract. We've obviously gone through this uh, campaign review and I assume they'll be waiting to, to get the findings of that. But, yeah, look, I've had, I've had absolutely no discussions with them whatsoever um, around that. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't comment on it. The, the ball's in their court uh, and my contract runs out next month. So that's essentially, that's essentially the, the nuts and bolts of it. Wow, interesting. Okay. Uh, well, let's just hope they get their act together there. In fact, I've just had a text come through to say that maybe he's on the out, on the way out, Danny Hay. Can you believe that? Can we can let him go? I oh, certainly hope not. Right, OK. Uh, it is uh, coming up to uh, 11.31 here on SENZ. Uh, we shall be talking to Andy Thompson in the next half hour, previewing his show. But also uh, we've got uh, a stump smithy, um, fresh, fresh with new knowledge uh, after my trip to Australia. So please... Uh, take me on, ring up 0800 150 811, 50 bucks up for grabs this morning. Stump Smithy after the news here with Haraha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it is that time, and he is back in the hot seat here with his gloves, Ian Smith, here on SNZ Mornings. Ricardo Ball did a, a fine job taking your place, I will say. He got the kit up to 150, almost got it to 200 for you, Smithy, but we are playing for a $50 TAB bonus bet. You've been away, you've been in Australia. Have you missed it? Have you missed Stumped? Um, yes, I have. I always miss it. It's like an alarm clock goes off in my head at around this time every morning. So I'm pretty well uh, averse. To, I'm across things now, and I look forward to your categories. Uh, if they are on New Zealand One Day Wins recently in Australia, <laughs> uh, against Australia, um, and then I'm very confident on that. 
Okay, I reckon I've got the answer to that. Other than that, I think everyone that rings in's got an even chance. Well, I'm not. I'm not going all the way back to the record books of 2009, unfortunately. But we, uh, the topics today, we have the NFL, the Bledisloe Cup, and the Champions League. First up at the crease, we've got Barry from Palmerston North. Come in, mate. Yeah. Hi. Good morning. Hey, Smithy. How are you, mate? I'm good, Barry. Barry won't know anything about the Champions League. I can promise you that. So you know. Um, hey, 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 Smithy. Um, yes, Barry. I felt for you over there, but um, hey, I, I sent you a text before, um, like read Dave Rennie and the um, Australian rugby team. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are. You haven't got the cat away. You, 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 you know. You, you can't. Uh, you can't make. Average players, good if that makes sense. You get yeah, what I it mean? It does make sense. Uh, it does make sense, and we're not normally uh, we don't like admitting the fact that we've uh, we haven't got the cattle in any of our sports. That's one of the things that we've always prided ourselves on is that we always believe we have got the players to handle most situations. Uh, but Barry, yeah, but you're I mean, right. Yeah, sometimes, I, mean, I mean, the Aussies, they, they haven't got the cap. They, they, they've got injuries. Yeah. They've, got, they've, yeah. they've just got no depth in rugby. Yeah. I know. I think it's fair. I, I think it's fair. I, I, I don't think I've got the, the competitions, the background uh, that we have. And for a long, no. long time, uh, um, it's been quite apparent, Barry. Anyway, uh, business at hand is 50 bucks going your way if you are successful. Question one, yeah. please, Quizmaster Logan. Well, we'll see what the depths of the knowledge are there. If you didn't catch it before, Barry, the topics are NFL, the Bledisloe Cup, and the Champions League. Take your pick out of those three. I'll take golf, but that's not there. <laughs> um, <and> look, <laughs> let's, have a, let's have a go at... Um, oh, what, what were they again, sorry? NFL, the Bledisloe Cup, and Champions League football. Let's... Go Champions League football. Woo. After Smithy just called you out on that, I like that. Uh, <laughs> I tried to have golf in stumped while Ricardo was here, but he protested against it. So it will be coming back now that Smithy's back in charge. That's for sure. First question: What year was the first Champions League game contested? <laughs> One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, over to you. Interesting. Champions League, referred to as Champions League. Uh, I think more recent than that. Uh, I'm more tempted to go to about 1993. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. According to the history books, according to uh, the questions here provided here by Brian Larade, 1955, 4th of September, Sporting CP versus Partizan ended in a 3 all draw. Wasn't called the Champions League back then, though, was it? Was it? I don't know. Potentially okay, not, but I think they keep it under the same umbrella when they look back at their history. Um, okay. Second enough. question, who has won the most Champions League titles? Mm. Barry. Uh, I'm going to say Rio Madrid. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, Real Madrid, they get up for it. 14 titles, Smithy. 
14 titles. I was looking at them. I was looking at Bayern and I was uh, looking at uh, um, maybe um, Inter Milan, uh, some of those great nations around the world. But, uh, yep, okay, we'll run with that. Jeez, I can't believe I got that right. That <laughs> Neither can I. I was thinking of Barcelona. <laughs> No, no, alright, bring it on. Alright, right, mate, you're in. Last question here, $50 TAB bonus beer on the line. Cristiano Ronaldo is the Champions League highest goal scorer with 141. Lionel Messi is second with 125. Who is third on that list? No, this is a little guess. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, Jeez, they scored a lot of goals, didn't they? <laughs> um, uh, I don't even know if he plays it, but uh, Ronaldo. One of the worst things I have oh. ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, over to you. I'm going to have a crack at Robert Lewandowski. Just oh! a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Cool as you like. You're the wow. London Lotus, Smithy. Wow. Wow. And that, oh, I can't believe I got it. He was the next name off. Uh, honestly, he was the next name on my thinking. I thought you were going to ask who was second. I had that covered. And then I just, oh, I'm so, I'm absolutely so proud of myself. I'm thinking of making a comeback. That is just wonderful. <laughs> and Barry, I'm so sorry for you, Barry. That was an absolute fluke. Oh, no, fluke, oh, but it no was, worries. But I'm, so, I'm so pleased for you, not. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, boy. Okay, Barry. Uh, so the good news is, Barry, you can ring up tomorrow morning and have a crack at a hundred bucks, a hundred dollars. Okay, done. thanks for taking thanks for taking part, Mike from Christchurch. Uh, you are next cab off the rank uh, tomorrow, mate. A hundred bucks if you can get on early enough. We wish you all the best. It is eleven forty-one here on SCNZ. Andy Thompson next about rural roundup. Sport in Aotearoa. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Well, of course, it is Wednesday, which means the Rural Roundup is uh, on at uh, midday, um, and it runs uh, between 12 and 1 on all frequencies except uh, Auckland and Wellington. I've got uh, Andy Thompson uh, with us uh, as we preview today's show. And Andy, I've just been looking at a headline, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people who are in charge of our supermarket bills etc look at as well and it says uh, get ready to pay more for milk and cheese on the back of the fact that we're doing so well in our exports overseas Yes, Smithy. It's a, um, I know it's a conundrum. I know a lot of people, non-rural people, re- don't actually understand why that is. The, the reality is uh, when it comes to dairy products, we can export pretty much everything that we produce. So the bottom line is whatever the overseas export price is for dairy products, that's what we pay in New Zealand. Why is it fair to ask a New Zealand dairy farmer to subsidise New Zealanders for products uh, when they can sell it overseas and get that um, get those in increased prices. That's the reality of it, I'm afraid. It's the way it is. That's the way it is. Uh, Andy, what have you got on your show today? Uh, well, I've got, a, I've got a question for you, Smithy. I like to come up with a question for you. What do you reckon you'd earn if you were a farmer down in Southland as a, uh, as a what are we talking about here? We're talking about a uh, sheep and beef, uh, dairy farmer, dairy manager down in Southland. What do you reckon you're going to earn? Oh gosh, um, does it is it relevant to the payout? Is it is it flexible or is it? Uh, well, can I guarantee yeah, no, a contract? It's just the, 
A dairy operations manager in Southland earned the highest package. This included uh, fuel, house, um, power. Total package was $137,000. Wow, $137,000. And here we are thinking that the, all farmers are just rolling in it. <laughs> yep, so that's what farmers have to pay nowadays to get a dairy operations manager. So we're going to talk to Richard McIntyre, who's Federated Farmers Dairy Chair. Uh, these numbers are yeah. increasing right across all of the industry. So, you know, when you think about how much your price of milk costs or how much your litre of milk costs or your butter, just think about the input prices that go in to produce that. Fertiliser prices have quadrupled uh, in some cases. Uh, nitrogen is uh, used to be $600 a tonne. It's now up to $1,700, $1,800 a tonne. So these prices are exponential growth diesel we all know what's happened to fuel prices so you know it's the way it works do you fertilize uh, annually in dairy farms or more often uh, nitrogen little and little and often is the uh, is the terminology for that you um, you go around behind the cows there's been um, it depends on your soil type smithy um, some people um, fertilize more some less uh, if you've got really high quality soils you might put less on basically Okay, interesting, Andy. Well, I look forward to your show coming up uh, in around about uh, 10 minutes' time. We'll give you a chance to uh, to get ready and get everything in shape for that, uh, Andy. Uh, always great catching up. We'll do it again uh, next Wednesday morning. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Smithy. Yeah, cheers, Andy Thompson, uh, folks, with Rural Roundup, and that is uh, coming up in 10 minutes' time here on SCNZ. Uh, and uh, for those of you... Uh, in Auckland and Wellington. You'll be listening to uh, staff as usual, which means we should catch up with him to see what's on his show as well. That's only fair very shortly. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.